Hey, it's Russo. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Worst Seats in the House, which was recorded in front of a packed house at Tuttle's. Our next live show is May 18th at 7 p.m. at Split Rocks in Wyoming. That's May 18th at 7 at Split Rocks. Anthony and I hope to see you there. But without further ado, here's this week's Worst Seats. Enjoy. Welcome back to War Seats in the House, Michael Russo and Anthony Lopanta coming to you live from Tuttle's where it is a packed house on this uh, beautiful Monday night. Uh, thanks to everybody coming out, especially on a beautiful night to uh, share the draft lottery with us right now. We're up to 15 right now. Nashville and uh, Calgary go 15 and 16 in the draft. Um, for the record tonight, Anthony and I are going to dinner. The loser pays for dinner. I have uh, Anaheim and Columbus getting the rights to Connor Bedard. So you got the teams with the best two odds. And you have uh, <laughs> you have who? I have Chicago and San Jose. Chicago and San Jose. It just feels like this will be Chicago's rebuild part three, and they'll they'll probably win the lottery the next two years or something. So Bill Daly and Gary Bittman, uh, the way this works is that the draft lottery is actually performed right before this. So they know who won. And uh, Bill does look a little pale for Maya. <laughs> I'm wondering if he knows that Chicago won it. Because he's like, Maybe we should have taken you, who, that first round pick away. Their, who do you think is their worst case scenario? I think Chicago is their worst case scenario because everybody's going to annihilate them for not taking away a first round pick. I, I just think... And it's just, uh, you know, they went into super tank mode this season where the other teams just sort of kind of pretended they weren't in tank mode but actually were in tank mode. And uh, so far, everything's going to plan. Go Calgary, Nashville, Pittsburgh, Buffalo, and Arizona. Uh, Arizona gets that pick in the, uh, in the, from the Chikrin trade from Ottawa. So uh, should we just keep live uh, tweeting this? Live, well, uh, except huh? that you know that this is a podcast that's not live for anybody that's, oh, that's not true. in the place. That's true. <laughs> wow. I like Patrick Alvin's <laughs> frames. Those are nice frames. Um, okay, so Vancouver's 11. Uh, we did a podcast the other day, so we kind of uh, beat the uh, old end of the season of the wild to death. So we might as well just leave. Um, we have a. We didn't uh, do it in person, though, that no, time. No, I know. And that, that's the fun part about doing this uh, live show here is that we have a mic here to our right uh, with uh, worst seats in the house t shirts as well that we're going to be giving away. How do we decide, Brandon, if you've recovered from that ordeal? How, how do we, Brian, to get, how are we giving them away? Yeah, yeah. So, honor, honor system. system here. Um, first five uh, people that come up and ask us a question uh, get it. Uh, we will not uh, determine the quality of your question, but we might let you know verbally that it was a crappy question, <laughs> but we'll still let you have a shirt. But if you, honor system, if you've, uh, if you have a shirt at home, please don't take one. Uh, we're down to the bare minimum now. Um, but uh, Anthony, I mean, uh, you know, not much as or anything has happened uh, since the end of the season so you far. You haven't had any shouting matches with the GM uh, or no shouting matches with, with the In fact, I'm doing a, uh, just to show people that last week asked if my uh, relationship with the GM or Rocky, there's Daniel Breer, um, uh, we're doing a podcast tomorrow as well, so uh, so that'll be fun. Um, Anthony, uh, now that we've had a, what, a, a week to just let this yeah, sort of feels simmer. feels like two months, doesn't it? Really it really does. Isn't it amazing? What do you think? It, well, 
I, I, my opinion really hasn't changed much. I, I still believe that, you know, but I've been, I've been asked this question so many times over the last about a week and a half, the what's it going to take? What's it going to take? Why, you know, this year wasn't any different than any other. And I How do you get them over the hump? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I haven't had that question. I would have yelled at them if they asked me that question. <laughs> but I, I just think it's a, as I look back on it, I still, I don't feel any differently in that it was a series where Dallas was the better team, the deeper team, and Minnesota would have had to have some breaks go their way to win it. And they didn't get them. And in fact, not only did they not get breaks, but the breaks went the wrong way. And I don't, I just, I don't think it's much, I don't feel any differently than I did when the season ended. As you, as you get a little bit more into the offseason, though, you do, you find out more and more about just how beat up guys were. And the Wild aren't the only team that are in that boat. You just, you find out what guys are playing through. And, and it, I'm always amazed by that every year when you find out, okay, this guy's got to have surgery for this. This guy's been playing on one leg for a month, all that kind of stuff. No doubt. Uh, by the way, uh, Chicago, Columbus, and Anaheim are still alive in the Connor Bedard sweepstakes as we go to commercial break here. So I've got two out of three chances for Anthony to pay for right. dinner and you tonight. Have the best chances. Um, thinking I'm, I think I'm going to have to go with the uh, Wagyu beef uh, from uh, the restaurant that we're going to, and maybe <laughs> a, a bottle of uh, I don't know beret. Well, before something. before we made the bet, you proclaimed you weren't drinking wine. Well, now I might have to change. <laughs> so, um, so. Uh, and again, uh, that microphone up there as well. When you um, look back on the season, and, and I mean, I know that you've gotten to uh, really dissect a lot of the stuff that's happened here. I mean, the, the, the special teams, I think, was the biggest thing that that to me is just beyond, um, you know, acceptable. I mean, I, yeah. it just, it just, it, I it hate can. To, I, I'll never use that term, and I and for, there's a couple reasons. One is like this was a, a penalty kill that a year ago was dismal. This year they improved. They were 10th in the league all season. But a couple things you have to remember. Number one, Dallas's power play was in the top five in the league all year. That was a great power play. Even the best penalty kills will struggle against them. And then take away the penalty killers for Minnesota. Jewel Eriksson-Eck, Mason Shaw, a huge loss on their penalty kill. And then remember that Freddie Gaudreau was beat up. These are the guys they've leaned on all year on the kill. And you just didn't have them. It's, I don't think it's... I didn't think it was anything that was that you'd be looking at it saying, "Well, we got to blow up the penalty kill." The, the penalty kill was good all year, and it it struggled in a key series. They did get a couple bad breaks, but it was more than breaks. And they didn't get good goaltending. They didn't get defense. good goaltending. I mean, I mean that's go. and so in fact we were just talking before we started. I had a chance to I played golf with Bob Woods and Dean Evison on Friday. And I was talking to Bob about the penalty kill a little bit. And I said, you know, the, the, I get asked that every once in a while. I said, I, what I'd like to do is, well, give me a piece of paper and diagram for me what you think the adjustment should have been on the kill. It's not an X's and O's thing. It was a personnel thing. They just didn't have the horses to kill penalties against one of the best power plays in the league. What do you think their PK would have been if they faced the Oilers power play? Yeah, well. would, it re even, would it even register? <laughs> well, it'd register because it would be. It would only not register if it was zero. But it would have been. Yeah, they would. They would have been a. That would have been a big number, and <laughs> it, it wouldn't have been good for Minnesota without Eric. As opposed to the sixty percent uh, that uh, that uh, Dallas was at uh, this one, it felt like it was sixty percent. Um, 
But think about it. Going to a penalty kill and say, Jewel Erickson Act. Now, the face-offs were a huge issue, and face-offs are an issue for this team. It's a an issue that I think they have to address. I know they've downplayed it for a couple of years, while well, the importance of one specific face-off and teams that have won haven't always been good face-off teams. But I think we've seen now how important face-offs are, particularly on special teams. And in this series, Minnesota was under 30% when they were on the kill. For the season, they were about 42 or 43%. Jules Erickson X presence probably put some more in that neighborhood for this series. And, and that's a difference of probably two of Dallas's goals, maybe three that were direct results of face-off losses, not to mention how many of them just allowed him to start in the offensive zone as opposed to getting that early clear. And uh, so I, I think it's a, I think that's a, a fair point that they have to address in the offseason, but that was, that was a huge part of their struggles on the kill. Wow, so Columbus got the third pick, so here's our first change in the draft. So now we're uh, one for one on, uh, we're going to... How did you know it was Columbus? He hadn't flipped over the card yet. I, um, <laughs> oh, poor Yormo Kikalainen. Oh, so, he does not look happy. So we got either Chicago or Anaheim to have the one. It's going to be Chicago. I'm just going to know. Oh, my God. It's just unreal. Unreal. Uh, look at these two. You're going to have to do some uh, surgery on this pod. Uh, yeah, just edit out the, the <laughs> my awkward, awkward pause yeah, right now. Yeah. So either way, <laughs> you know, as a Wild fan, that for the next uh, forever, uh, Connor Bedard is going to be with Anaheim or Chicago. Uh, and let's see who wins the lottery. Yeah, that means at least three times against the, the Wild. Chicago Blackhawks won the lottery. Unbelievable. Yeah. And that means dinner on Russo. I think that I'm going <laughs> home afterwards to uh, watch the game. I really don't want to go to dinner with you again. How, do, how, how come I have to pay for dinner? All right. Um, I gave you the best two odds in the in the pile, and you still yeah. lost. It's clearly rigged. You knew, you knew what it was going to be before. <laughs> um, what's your thoughts on that? Connor Bedard in the Wilds division for the next forever. Yeah, it, it just felt, I don't know, I just had this feeling all along that Chicago was going to end up winning this and it was going to, remember, you know, we've talked so much about the the dilemma that the fan base in Minnesota has had is the trade-off of playoff berths 10 times in 11 years without ever bottoming out and then getting a couple of of these top four or five type picks and, and making a run at a cup. And what people forget about Chicago is they had a decade where they were terrible and wound up with picks in the top three when it was Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves. And that was what allowed them to then be dominant for the next decade. Yeah. According and to Gary Bettman, there's no tanking in the NHL. Then you have this sheepish grin from this uh, general manager, Kyle Davidson. Yeah. And, um, and the way they approached it was, I agree with you, was it was more egregious than many of the others because there were a few of those teams that it wasn't like they traded away everybody they could think of to try to make sure they finished at the bottom like Chicago seemed to do. But it just had a, I don't know, I just had this feeling. It was somehow, some way it was going to work out for them. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but the NHL benefits when Chicago's good and when there's a superstar player in that market. And it just didn't surprise me. I, I guarantee you Gary Bettman and Bill Daly are right now thinking about, you know, why they allow that team to keep a first-round pick in this year's draft after everything that happened, the Kyle Beach stuff uh, a couple years back and everything. Uh, if, if that doesn't allow uh, get you reprimanded, I have no idea. Um, so, anyway, um, 
Back to the wild. Uh, well, you, you asked me what I thought. I've, I've had 10 days now to, to think back on it. And I think there's – the interesting way to look at it is – and I, this goes back to that post-game, post-season press conference where it was – the season wasn't a failure. The first-round series was, but the season was not. So if you look at a couple things, I think, that were points of concern. We talked about this a little bit on last week's show, but we can talk about it again in front of our fans here tonight that I think Marco Rossi's at the top of the list. I, this was a, a season where I don't think his career progressed anywhere close to what they were hoping it would. But on the other side, Philip Gustafson emerged as a legitimate NHL goaltender that I think was a complete unknown going into the season. Jules Eriksson took the next step with his career. I think Matt Boldy took another step, even though the postseason was a, a disappointment during the regular season. We saw him carry the offense when Kirill Kaprizov went down. Brock Faber was certainly a positive. As he emerged quickly, I think we, we found out that he indeed will be a top-four defenseman probably as early as next season. So I think there were a lot of things that happened in terms of the development of the, of the talent within the organization that were positives this year. No, I, I, I get that. And, and actually, to, to Bill Guerin's point the other day about building a Stanley Cup winner and not the goal being the first-round pick, look at everybody in Toronto the last couple days. I mean, those Toronto fans, you would never know now that they won that first round. A little different there, but uh, down 3-0 right now to the Florida Panthers. And, uh, and I think people are already saying this is the team that they thought they were, not built for the playoffs. And uh, right now, it's just crazy. Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, uh, William Nylander, and John Tavares. Uh, no goals in this series. Um, it's just been and barely a point. Um, it, it, you know, I've always said that it is harder for stars to get, um, you know, room and to function and to operate in the playoffs. But that's more like a Minnesota scenario where you essentially have one star and you pretty much can load up a high skin against them. When you have a team like Toronto that could put stars throughout that lineup and they still are getting enveloped by a team that I don't think was one of the best defensive teams in the league this year, it's pretty remarkable. Well, I think the performance in goal from Sergei Bobrovsky might be the most yes. remarkable performance in this year's playoffs. Out of all the things that have happened in this second round so far, and there's been some crazy goaltending situations. And, you know, we've throughout the season, we talked about the, how the league has changed, where there are so few teams that are, here's the number one, he's going to play 60 games. Here's the number two, he's going to play 20. Mm -hmm. Where Think about it. You've got... Carolina is still alive. They've played Auntie Ranta. They've played Freddie Anderson. They had Pyotr Kochetkov in there already in this series. You've seen Florida that Sergei Bobrovsky all of a sudden had been benched, had lost his job. Now he's emerged, and I never thought he'd be able to sustain this into the second round. Linus Allmark, who's going to likely win the Vesna, he winds up getting pulled and doesn't even start in the elimination game for the, for the Boston Bruins. It's crazy the way things have changed. Philip Grubauer had lost his job to Martin Jones for a huge chunk of the season. Now all of a sudden he's back and, and playing really well for Seattle. We've seen the Jake Ottinger has been really up and down. Was I thought very average in the first three games of the Wild Series, then the best player in the series for the next three, and he suddenly looks very human. Got yanked in the game against Seattle in game three. I think it's crazy the way the goaltending has evolved in this year's playoffs. Yeah, well, that's that's what I said to somebody the other day, and maybe it was even on this podcast. It's like you look at it and you have Olmark, Vasilevsky, Shesterkin, Sorokin, four best 
goalies per, in the league, essentially, all out in the first round. It almost gives you buyers beware if you're the wild and saying how how much and how how long can you go with a Philip Gustafson who, you know, what if he is a one-hit wonder? Regardless, right now, this league has proven well, I'm not that ready you can, to anoint him a starter right. in the NHL yet. Well, he hasn't and, and, even proven yeah, it that but, he can handle that load for a full yeah, season. Exactly. And, I mean, goaltending-wise right now in this league, right, it, it's, it's crazy to me that every single year it's just so hard for these goalies to be consistent. I think a lot of it is to do with the speed and the skill of the offensive players, the technology of the offensive players. But – no longer are we in the day where you can go give eight years to Bobrovsky and the, the contract to carry price. You know, you almost have to, it, it might be a smarter move to sit there and every two or three years, find the goalie that right now you feel you could pay moderately and build around that. And there, a lot of people have asked me in the last couple of days, would you actually consider trading a Augustuson for a young center? What's your thing? I don't think the Wild would go that route, but yeah. I think it's something to be considered. Well, I think it's something to be considered. That all depends on Hunter Wallstead mm-hmm. and how close they Jesper. think. Or Jesper Wallstead, yep. I'm sorry. Uh, Mix-up of the two goaltenders down there. Uh, Jesper Wallstead, if he's ready, I think it's something you have to consider, but it would probably be a sign Gustafson first and then make the deal because that way you, you're, you, the team to whom you're trading him would have more of a known cost certainty and, and probably increase his value. I think it's something to consider, but I don't think they will. I think I think they're looking at this more that let's get Gus signed. We know what we've got then for next year with he and Fleury. Wallstead should be ready at some point next year or the following year for sure, and then you, you kind of make that turnover at that point. Yeah. Um, I'm conflicted on it because I, I agree with you that, you know, uh, if you go into next season without Gus and now you have to sign a cheaper backup or a cheaper guy to go 1A, 1B, um, that's a big uncertainty. But I just look at this team right now, and I think that this year we saw um, the, the lack of depth at, up the middle, and I feel like it completely cost them in the playoffs. I mean, you know, yeah, you they lose might have been playing one of the deepest yeah. teams down the middle. Exactly. Not, not necessarily the best team, but right. the deepest team down yeah. the middle. And then, I mean, you know, it's like game two of that series when they got killed in Dallas. Like, what did you expect without Eric Snack and Hartman? You know, right. like, how are you? And Hartman was you know. playing hurt in the series. So was Freddie Gaudreau. Yep. And then, of course, Eck wasn't in the series. So a team that was already a little yep. bit challenged down the middle basically was playing. I know that they used the term one hand tied behind their back in terms of salary cap. Well, this was a coaching staff going in with one hand tied behind your back without any legitimate options down the middle. Yeah. What do you think of Evander Kane and the gut punches yeah, it's there? brutal. Yeah. It's just and the league just ignores it. Um, sorry. This is like one of those podcasts where anything I see, I'm going to probably right. mention. No, but I mean, that's <laughs> if you start to look around what's happened, we've talked so much about officiating and, and discipline in this year's playoff. I don't know how you watch that happen. And now at any point next season, give a suspension to a player who punches a guy who's already down. Here's, a, here's something that's funny. How, how, if you were that guy, do you not say, well, wait a minute, yeah. what? I watched Evander Kane do this. You know the other thing that those referees did the other night? Kelly Sutherland and uh, I, forget who was John, I forget who the other ref was. It was. Did you see how they scored those penalties? They all gave them roughings. So you had the fight at center ice, oh, two yeah, fighting majors, right. and then the two fights in the corner, We're roughings. roughings. Why? Because if there's a second fight at the same stoppage, it's an automatic yep. ejection. It's an absolute 
crock that these right. referees that just make up happened happen in, in Tampa in the Tampa series in the Tampa Toronto series and it would have been that was yeah. in, included or involved uh, Austin Matthews it just the refs just decide to make stuff up as they go and there they did not call the rule book because they didn't want to kick all those players out of the right. game right and, and that's it's just what, an it, absolute joke it's one of the things that when you've talked to our coaches over the course of the year they always use the phrase manage the game and they said these officials feel like they need to manage a game just call the game and then let the the players would be fine dealing with the repercussions if the game is called how would you argue that if you were the guy in the second fight if they said hey look the rule book says the second fight at the same stoppage means you're out how could you argue that it's uh it's it's really uh crazy I know it's hard to believe, but warm weather is coming and arriving quickly. If you're like me and like your home to stay comfy and cool all summer long, get a company you could trust, and that's Aquarius Home Services. From AC tune-ups to repairs, you can count on Aquarius's cooling and heating experts to provide you with a five-star experience, respecting you, your home, and time with attention to details that really make a difference. Their 100% performance guarantee is backed by the best material, product, and labor warranties in the business. Aquarius believes in earning the right to be recommended. Be prepared for this summer's heat and contact Aquarius today. They're just a click away at Aquarius Home services.com and don't forget to mention russo sent you and we're heading into the grilling season playoffs for nhl hockey always mean that it's time to get back out on the patio and i have people asking me all the time about restaurants and other cities and oh yeah you're going to dallas they got great steakhouses and i always just tell them i don't eat steak on the road very often because i love the steaks that i make at home so i try to find other restaurants in these cities and big reason for that is the steak selection at kowalski's and i've talked about the akaushi cuts a lot but the last time out we went and got the their 40-day aged usda prime ribeyes they were terrific another thing to if you're in the mood for burgers check out their pre-made patties their short rib patties they are terrific the only thing there's some fat in them so that you'll get a little flare up and flame up on your grill so you got to keep an eye on that so you don't char them too much but they are as tasty as any burger you'll find check them out at kowalski's if you're gonna have a great night out on the patio you got to start with the best pure ingredients and for that, there's only one place to go. That's Kowalski's. Hey, hockey fans. Jerry Bosch here again from Bosch Law Firm and WorkCompExperts.com. If you're injured at work, it's never too soon to contact the lawyers and awesome staff at Bosch Law Firm. We'll answer all your questions, help you set up your work comp claim, and help you select professionals who will be there to help you, not the insurance company. And with almost 30 years of litigation experience, if your benefits are denied, we'll fight to get you paid. Bosch Law Firm. The call is always free and there's never a fee unless we obtain benefits on your behalf. Call or text us at 651-333-8300 or visit us at workcompexperts.com. Anybody have any questions, uh, come on up uh, and, and feel free to ask, uh, ask um, anything. Here we go. You get the shirt. Oh, you got one? You don't want to wear it proudly around town? <clears throat> yeah. All right. So assuming Dumba's gone and Faber, Faber steps into the top four, are they honestly going to have the third pair defensemen be a trio of guys that didn't play a minute in the playoffs and were scratched all the time? <laughs> yes. And they're well, going to expect them to be happy. Yeah, maybe. Um, no, I, I mean, look, uh, I'm prob- I think one of those one three of will get traded. Maybe at least two. Um, you know, Kalen's, Kalen's likely gone. I mean, even though I think that they should actually keep him because of their, you know, I'd rather him on the power play than Spurge. Um I think he's gone, and then they're going to, you know, go to 
Goligoski and have him make a decision. And then if that's the case, they'll have a couple others here, whether it's Dakota Mermis and signing somebody or or uh, or things like that. I mean, you know, but yeah, I mean, right now, the way it works, you, you said it the right way, that, that I'll be thieving it from you eventually. But that is right now what uh, is, and that happened this past year too. I mean, not with Merrill, but Goligoski too. Goligoski was pretty much sidelined in the playoffs last year, so... He was, but what was different this year is last year he played every game through mid-January. He played like the first 40 or something, 42. Mm -hmm. And then he got scratched like 38 out of the last 40. This year it was the reverse. He didn't play much early. And then he played almost every night down the stretch. And and the, but they never, went to him, they never went to him in the playoffs. And, you know, that I, I, didn't, I didn't ask Dean and Bob about that. I wonder if they in hindsight, say, you know what, when the penalty kill's really struggling, maybe, because I know during the season, that was the decision yeah. they made a few times, was we need a penalty kill guy more than a power play guy, so let's yeah. put Goligoski in. I think in. it's pretty obvious what happened. I mean, they decided that they, you know, I was, ta- I was after the press conference the other day, I met up with Bill and, and his staff, actually, in his offices, and they basically said that the play, you know, the goal was to play in one game. He liked them so much. Dean coaching staff asked if they can play him in the last game. They liked him so much. Hey, can we play him in the playoffs? So when that answer was yes, well, they acquired John Klingberg. They've already taken Addison out. So they acquired John Klingberg to, to play uh, the power play. And the coaches just think they deferred to that. When I bet you that, you know, hand on a Bible, they would have rather played Merrill or Galagos. Yeah, possibly. But they, I, I know that that was in the back of their mind after Faber played game one mm-hmm. because we talked about it with them. And they said, well, when these two guys play together again in Nashville, we're going to put Klingberg on the left just to see how that works. And they did it for the last two periods that night in Nashville just to see if it was even a possibility. And if it hadn't been, who knows? They might have gone into the playoffs and not played favor because mm-hmm. they would have said, well, we, we need Klingberg for the power play and he can't play the left. And it, we'll see, but I, I have a feeling there will be a third pair that I'd say maybe one of those three guys is a part of a three-man rotation for five, six, seven. Yeah. Would be my guess. Just real quick, uh, how do draft rights work in the NHL? How long do teams have rights to the players that they draft. Um, so it used to be if it was a European, you had 10 years, college four, uh, Canadian junior two. Uh, now it's pretty much everybody two. Um, and unless you're in college, you have four. Uh, so Canadian junior, European. Um, there's always differences, like technically. Um, I mean, they signed them, but like a guy like Firstov who signed his three-year deal, they've got his rights for two more years. But say he decides without their permission that, hey, I'm never coming back, they would just suspend him, and then they essentially own his rights indefinitely. Um, but in terms of unsigned draft picks, uh, two, two, uh, two for pretty much everybody but a college player. But yeah, when I first started covering the league, um, first of all, when I first started covering the league, you could draft a player at any age. Like, I covered Yaroslav Spachik, David Spachik, coincidentally, his, his father. I covered him in Florida. The Panthers drafted him, I think, at age 24 or 25. That was before there was European free agency. But when you drafted a European player, you had their rights for 10 years. I mean, it was it was crazy. I mean, I, I remember when I moved to um, Minnesota. But, well, uh, but part of that was because at that time, it wasn't always a given that those European players right, were ever exactly. going to come. Yep. So, you know, you base and because there was no European free agency, if you were an undrafted Europe, uh, European um, if you didn't come, it was a way. It was basically their loophole of trying to make sure that that team, that guy, couldn't just 
you know, be Wait drafted two years, two years right. and then say, I'm going to go sign with the team that I'd rather play for. So, so my question is for uh, about Krill Kaprizov. What's he going to do for the offseason? Is he planning on making any trips back to Russia and keep us guessing for next year? Or is he gonna- um, no, I mean, uh, you know, I, I think I said on the pod, you know, I'm expecting him to stay here for a while. Um, you know, I know there's there's some issues, too, from where he's from, like um, like he wanted to go play in uh, Matt Zuccarello's charity thing in, in August, and uh, but right now Norway is not allowing Russian people into the country based on what's going on over there. So there's also vacations, essentially, that he wants to take that he's not going to be able to, but in terms of... Uh, in terms of uh, going home, I don't think that we're going to have to deal with uh, covering what we did last summer. Let's put it that way. Question. So, Kalen Addison, wasn't he like minus 12, plus minus, and 16? Like yeah, 17. Was, 17. Minus 12 would have been a dream season. He was, yeah, but wasn't he minus like minus 12 in the first three weeks of the season? And uh, I'd have to double and check. Yeah, I don't know. He was pretty much leading the league in terms of rookie defensemen, in terms of scoring. So, mm-hmm. what's he worth? I don't know. I mean, I think that they've damaged his trade value, if that's what you're talking about. Um, in terms of his money, um, like if they were going to sign him to a contract right now, I mean, I've got to think his agents are going to they're going to qualify him at his one year age 25 pray to god he takes it i can't imagine they will i was actually thinking his trade value yeah but yeah i mean his trade value i don't know i don't think it's nearly uh what they what it could have been you know i mean uh everybody saw what happened here so yeah i think it's interesting because i still think he has some upside and probably well, I think almost certainly more value somewhere else than he has here. There will be somebody who looks at him and says, we can stomach having a sixth defenseman that is a power play specialist, and we'll hide him from everything else if we have to. I just don't think Minnesota wants to do that. Yeah. I guess one my biggest thing is, like, we saw them go 11-7 like six or seven times this year. Why can't you play Addison and go 11-7 and seven effectively? Just play him on the power play. I think or you every can. now and then shelter him. Well, I think like, you can. Wh- wh- and, like, but we talked just, about this yeah. during the season. I actually liked the 11-7 with the Wilds roster makeup just for that reason, coupled with the fact that now on the fourth line, you could play, say, Dewar and Shaw and then just spot right. Boldy or Kaprizov or right. in a checking situation, somebody else. And But it never seemed to work when they did it during the season. It, yeah. it, I'm, but again, I that could think, be on the coaches. Sure works for Edmonton. I know they have yeah. different players, but they deploy them very differently. It just always felt at the first three or four times the Wild did it, it was helter-skelter on the ice. It just looked chaotic. On the bench, it looked chaotic. Uh, when guys were going out there, a little different. Obviously, when you're double shifting, you know, uh, Dreisaitl and McDavid, um, you know, even Toronto's done it and, and they've, they've been able to do it. I mean, it's, again, a little different in those ways. But I just think that their need for a power play specialist, which is what Kalen Addison does well, um, is more than trying to get a fifth round pick or something for him. If you can get him back at a cheap deal, 900, put him on the power play, play him eight, nine minutes a night, and essentially play an 11-7 mechanism where you're basically using 5D, I, I just think it's absolutely worth it. So, um, so I, I, that's what I would do. So, question. So looking at Evanson's records for playoffs, do you think he's in any danger of losing his job this summer? <laughs> no, he's not, he's not <laughs> he's in not. any danger. He's not, although I can share the story. I think I was playing golf with him on Friday, and 
as we'd walk by groups on the other hole, I would say, hey, are you guys in the camp that they should fire the coach or not? Just to see what they would say. And, and Dean actually laughed. He was good about it because then by the time the round was over, he was asking the other groups. And so it was, it, we had some fun with it. But no, he, he's, he's not in danger right now. Uh oh, it's never good when somebody has to pull out their phone to read the question. <laughs> oh, well, no, I want to make sure I got this quoted right. But I did go back to the regular season, and the power play was nine for 52 with Flingberg, which is 17%. And before that, with Addison and everybody else, it was over 20. So that's just a statement of fact. So yeah, the only thing I would add to that is a part of those Klingberg times was when Kaprizov was injured, and that changed the power play as well. But Boldy took off. He did, but the power play was different. When you don't have Kirill Kaprizov on your power play, it isn't going to be as good. But that also had Zuccarello on it, who was a turnover machine. Yeah, although he was there all year. <laughs> as but a turnover it, machine. Yeah, they were. the power play was, was effective. It was yep. 15th in the league. It had the best single season power play percentage the franchise has ever had. <laughs> they didn't lose this yeah. year because the power play wasn't good enough. I, I will say, every time you keep saying that, the one context I want to give is that the power plays are historically good these days. When I first started covering the league, a good power play was 20%. Oh, so, the, the best power yeah. plays were 20%. Yeah, exactly. Not a good that's, one. That's what I mean, the right. best. So the fact that they, at are 15th in the league with the best ever. I don't know how much that really says. No, 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 but I'm saying they were yeah. 21%. They were 15th in the league. I'm, they, they, it's not like they were 30th in the league yeah. where they were. They did, couldn't win because they couldn't score on the power play. Late in the year, the power play lost the mojo, and I don't think it was – I don't think it's fair to say it was because Klingberg underachieved it because it was a lot of things. It was Klingberg was new. He wasn't as good as they thought he was going to be, but Kaprizov was hurt. Kaprizov and Zuccarello never quite got their chemistry back when he did come back. Eric Sinek got banged up. He was the center and the net front guy in that power play. So all of those things kind of happened simultaneously. So it wasn't just Klingberg as yeah. the issue. There were a whole pile of, of issues. But then that goes back to the coach that the coach needs to coach. You need to coach up Addison. You need to coach your power play. You need a net front guy, whoever that is. Right. That is on the coach to well, plant your yes, butt except, in front of the goalie. Right. So, so put yourself on the on the bench. Who'd you put net front with this team when Eric Sinek was out? Felino, Reeves, Fel- somebody, oh anybody. Oh boy, Felino no, yeah, and Reeves no, they, are the they, furthest they, thing from power play yeah. guys. Out there. The, We've seen their the, second unit right. all year with with yeah. like Felino was yeah. the net yeah. front guy in the second yeah. power play. They were about one percent for the season. Yeah, I, I, hey, I'm with you up until that. They yeah. had no options. Yeah, like unless you're going to tell Marcus Johansson get the f in front of the net and stop going anywhere else. Like but that's he's what. The, but that, he's not a net front but that, guy. But the point is, is that they put him there and he never right. was there. I got it. You know? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Though is that yeah. like yeah. they don't have they didn't have the personnel for a second. Jules Eric. That's why we've talked and I we talked a lot even on our broadcast. Jules Eriksenek is the most irreplaceable player on this roster. And it's not that he's the best player, but he's the only guy, he's the only center on that power play. Mm -hmm. He's the only net front guy. He's the best penalty killing forward. He plays against the other team's best guy. That guy, we don't have anybody else that does any of those things. So Zach Hyman's better than anybody we have. Uh, a, Zach Hyman's one of the he's best. He's one yeah. of the best in the league. Yeah, but yeah. watching Edmonton the other night, Zach Hyman was the net front guy. McDavid was between the slot, which right. would be Kaprizov. That's Kaprizov. And you have somebody 
taking the eyes away from the Vegas goalie. Minnesota never did that. Right. Uh, the and one thing I will say, gonna, the, like the one thing I right. loved about their power play the other night too, because everybody's expecting Dreisaitl on McDavid to score, is how many times McDavid said, you know what, if you're going to front Leon and me, I'm putting it right on, on Hyman's tape. And there were so many chances that he had for backdoor tap-ins that just didn't work out. But that's what we never see with the Wild because of the lack of respect that the Wild, that the penalty killers have for a lot of their players on on their stagnant right. power play. But when Eric Sinek was the net right. front guy, he was the second leading power play goal scorer on the team. And exactly. without him, they just don't have another guy yeah. that's capable I mean, of playing in, in, that spot. Uh, in game six, when they were on the power play and Johansson refused to stay in front of the net, I would have had a meltdown if I was on the bench. And I was having a meltdown in the press box. It was unbelievable watching. Oh, I was, it was having a meltdown. It was, yeah, the, it, was, uh, it was truly unbelievable. But there is nothing they could have done. Like, Felino is definitely not the answer. No, Reeves Maybe is you not. could have played Sunquist. Maybe. Um, yeah, but, but, but they then just there didn't. Were all, yeah, they're, they're Sunquist just, yeah. brought negativity yeah. to everything else you asked him to do. They, they just didn't have oh, that guy. Yeah, like, so. Yeah, to, I mean, he was, you know, he was slow. You couldn't use him yeah. defensively. He yeah. was. But this is what Billy meant when he did say that the coaches were had one hand tied behind their back. From a depth standpoint, Joe Pavelski's out. They put Tyler Sagan on the number one unit. From right. the Wild, they're out. Joel, Joel Erickson X out. And your answer has to be Marcus Johansson. Johansson's well, a good player in the flank or something like that. And um, your answer in the lineup was Sam Steele. Yeah. They, moved, they bumped yeah. Tyler Sagan up. We bumped Sam Steele up. I mean, those are two. Sagan's a $9 million player. So my it's, ultimate question was, because there are a lot of... I do like you fighting with Anthony, right. though. You can come yep. to any podcast <laughs> and take <laughs> the microphone anytime. Absolutely. Oh, oh, I got other right. stats, but yep. I don't, this is not a stats Read the question. stats to Anthony. Well, Read okay. Them. Well, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm <laughs> done with that. Uh, so, no, my question is, I am a Rossi fan. I want to give him a chance. Uh, so the number two overall pick in that draft was Quentin Byfield, and he was on... Uh, LA's fourth line, and he was a minus whatever. And then, without reason, they promoted him to the first line. He didn't earn it, as Anthony has said before, where Rossi needed to earn his time between Boldy and whoever. How is it that some coaches, you know what, we're going to take Byfield, we're going to put him on the line with uh, Kempe and Kopitar, and he hasn't earned it, and he took off, and Rossi, I understand the, phys you know, the physicality part, he's not physically strong, all that and he didn't have a lot of FU, as Bill Guerin said, but he was given a chance on the top line with Kopitar and Kempe, and Rossi is still told, you got to earn it. Yeah, well, I think he, he was given a couple chances up with those guys, too, and didn't do much. And I, Well, I agree with that, but I, they gave him more than a game. And they yeah, gave him the, the most uh, he, in Boston and Montreal, he played with Boldy. That's the only thing I can remember, other than... The, the preseason game, the last one where he played with uh, Caprice and Zuccarello. And I, they haven't, I, I still am a Marco Rossi fan. I believe this guy is still going to be a good player. But, and, and Byfield's a totally different player. We're talking about a, you know, a bigger, stronger body where they felt like yep. they could throw him up there with a couple more skilled guys and drive his game. But it also just tells you that it clicks for guys at different points in yeah, their career. Yeah, like they're different humans. And, you know, for, yeah. for years I had Michael telling me that the Wild's biggest mistake was taking Jewel Eriksson instead of Brock Besser. And I kept saying, I think they're just different players. Now you, nobody in the, 
nobody in the league would make that I also that remember trade. when I said Miko Rantanen, you're going to deny it, but it's true that Miko Rantanen was going to be a star, and you said no. No, that's false. That is 100% no. true. You might have said he was going to be a star. I always liked Rantanen. Oh, my God. Um, like, honestly, one day, my heart is going to absolutely explode next to call, you. We'll call, a- we'll call Mike Greenlay because he had him on his, on our, in our Donkey Hockey League, and I, try, I was trying to acquire him for like two years I know, from this him. is before. So anyway, uh, oh, look, answer, quick answer from Vegas, 1-1. Hey, so uh, one thing on your point on Rossi that that I will, like, look, I I think that he needed to do more to get to that top. He did nothing in the first two weeks of the season, month of the season, month plus of the season to say, hey, we're going to put him there. The only thing I will say, you know, that, you know, when I look back at the season is, like, I know that they didn't, they just totally did not think he was ready. So they were not going to throw him into a postseason. But the only thing I'll say is, like, if they trade him this summer and they never gave him that shot and he succeeds elsewhere, I think they are going to regret that for a long time. Like, my issue with them not playing him in the playoffs was if you are going to need to rely on that guy next year, let's see what you have. Put him in a situation where he is going to quickly realize it is a different league. And um, but, you know, when they I think down the stretch, when they put him in those couple regular season games and he continued to show nothing like th- there was nothing that made them think, oh, my God, Erickson X out. We got to put him in and he's going to change. Yeah, I, I think he had a chance in those last couple yeah. games to put himself as the next man up at yeah. the very least. And and he just didn't show it. And I I, I don't think there was any way they were going to use him in the playoffs after, especially after those two. And, and I also think they just thought, you know what, this year is just, this is about American Hockey League development for him. Next year's a new year. We'll focus on the offseason, training, skating, everything yeah. else, and let's see what happens in camp. And th- especially, like, you know, like that game in Nashville was one where he just could have, you know, Freddie didn't play the third period. They just, they put him in overtime. Like, there was his first, it was a small sample size, but it was his first time to like say, all right, let me show this coaching staff in a tight game that, that I could do something, and he just didn't. You and know? that's what Dean has always said. Bruce always said it. Mike Yo said it. Hey, look, when you get that chance, you got to go out there and do it. Grab it and make yourself impossible to be replaced. And nobody's going to argue if all of a sudden yeah. you come in here, you jump in, you score tonight, or you, you control the game, you control shifts. How are we going to take you out of the lineup? And he just, he frankly never brought anything that made him look like a guy yeah. that, that demanded the opportunity. In f- 15 years ago, I'll never forget it. It's October of t- 2008. And um, they call up Cal Clutterbuck from Houston. And he played that game in Florida. It was at Florida. And I remember saying to, I think it was, it was John Shipley, whoever the Pioneer press writer was, I said, I don't think we're going to see Clutterbuck leave this team. Like, he was that noticeable. He was, now different players, different type of skill set to show. Like, you know, he's banging bodies and playing, like, you know, with heads cut off and everything. But, like, and he never left. He never left this team ever again. He took essentially took Marion Gabrick's job because remember Gabrick got hurt. He missed basically the whole season. Then he decided to come back right before the trade deadline and, and uh, went on, caught on fire, but that was the end of his career. But he was this fourth, this like young energy guys called up for their superstar at the time and, and never left. And that's just what you have to do. There's, this is a league, you know, it's the same thing with music. It's like, if you were going to have somebody in that audience that could change your life, you better be on that day. You know, and if you're not, you might be playing a bar in Nashville for the rest of your life. 
It's just that there's certain types of chances that you get in an organization where there's 1,000 people taking your job. And right now, there's all these, it might not look like it because they're not here yet, but you have all these kids in this organization that are just chomping at the bit to get here. You have all these young defensemen, you have all these young forwards. We're not going to see them again, that fruits of the labor for a year or two. But, you know, in a minute, Marco Rossi's going to be way down on the, on the totem pole, and that's why this year is a disappointment. Martin? I think I probably speak for everyone here when I say... Uh, We'd all rather listen to you two argue than me ask a question. <laughs> but I'm going to throw yeah. you a softball Come to question Sicily anyways. With us. There'll, there'll be a couple discussions there. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. So uh, my question is, do each of you have a, a player, and this isn't talking about on-ice performance or anything like that, but a player that you've covered over your career where just a fun guy to be around, maybe great quotes, maybe just really easy to cover. Do you have somebody you can point to right away where... I have a thousand you, of them, but... <laughs> Yeah. Well, I have quite a few, too, over 23 yeah. years, but can you pick one that, that really stands out for you guys? For me, it was Derek Bugard. You know, there's very few players in my entire career covering the Wild, which is now going on 19 seasons next year, that I remember walking in the locker room every single day and going over to the stall just to hang out. I mean, you know, I'm not like that anymore, that's for sure. I mean, uh, it, it just, I mean, it was just a joke fest and just watching the whole... You know, just the whole dynamic between him and different players, him and Backstrom especially, uh, was always fun. Yeah, there, I have a few as well, but I'll, if, to pick one, and I'll share the story only because it was just asked of me on the golf course the other day that the, my nickname in the hockey world is Panther, but I was never called that the rest of my life, ever. So my high school and college friends are, Panther? Who the hell is this Panther? And, like, and it started... And so the guy is going to be Jared Spurgeon for me. I, I love Spurgeon, and, and I love chatting with him about anything in the world. And I, he's a soft-spoken guy, but a really funny guy. But he used to sit right in front of me on the plane with Justin Falk, the, the, not the Justin Falk who, you know, from St. Louis, Carolina, the, the other Justin Falk. And they started calling me Panther where they would sing, they would hum the Pink Panther sound, the, the song, every time I'd walk on the plane. And it stuck from that point on, like, now every, that's what everybody calls it. So we were playing golf the other day, and Dean yells at me, you know, like, what the hell are you doing in the sand again, Panther, or something? And the other guy in the group was like, Panther, what the, where'd that come from? And so I shared with him the story that it was, it was Spurgeon and Falk that gave me the nickname, and it stuck for 11 years. So it's, I'll go with Spurge. Isn't it funny how hockey nicknames, everybody, it's like, it just always sticks. Like, even in Florida, people called me Roos. It was just, that's just the way, it, but, and nobody in my life, same thing, has ever called me Roos, but Pant, every hockey player, and not knowing, like, Felino just, when he got here, started calling me Roos, you know, in Florida, Luongo, and Kid, and Melamy, and all those guys, Roos. I'll give you mine. Uh, it's got to be Jason Zucker, just yeah. for, just a fantastic human being, really nice guy. Always treated me unbelievably well, um, and that's in the history of the team. Yeah. Currently, it's a tie between Flower and Freddie Goudreau. Flower Those the two best. guys yeah. are yeah. just unbelievable. I remember Flower's first game, and I was cranking the killers, Mr. Brightside, in the stick room, and he came walking in, and I 
just panicked. And, I, and on my phone, I had it up at 10. You know, I turned it off right away. And, and Flower said, no, 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 no. You just play whatever you want. I'll like it. Don't worry yeah. about it. And that's his first game yeah. with us. And just a great guy. Yeah. Flower, Flower, well, terrific. you picked the two nicest yeah. players on the team. I mean, Freddie Goudreau is, is, is just the friendly Freddie is what I call him on Twitter. Um, but Flower is, by the end of all of our careers being around the wild, I think it's going to be a pretty honor, honor, an honor that we got to cover him. Uh, that's for sure. I want to tell you that it's spring. The weather is getting nicer. Anthony was just on the golf course. And that means the spring selling season is here. Skip the spring cleaning and get straight to the spring selling. Be proactive and take action today, even if you're not quite ready to sell your home yet. So you can be better informed and ready to move forward when the time is right. More people are moving again as interest rates have stabilized. Sell your home stress-free with a guaranteed offer from Chris Lindahl Real Estate. There's no showings, no decluttering, no repairs, and no stress. It's easy way to sell your home. They keep you in control so you can sell your home fast. You can pick your closing date and move when it's convenient for you. To find out what your guaranteed cash offer would be. There's no obligation. Go to chrislindahl.com or call 763-401-SOLD. Close with confidence and start packing. Terms and conditions apply. And here's a word from Royal Credit Union. Open a smart checking account at Royal Credit Union and enjoy a $250 bonus. Royal Smart Checking has no monthly fees and no minimum balance requirement. See offer details and exclusions and open your account today at rcu.org slash checking bonus. Insured by NCUA. The Stanley Cup playoffs are still in full swing and a great place to watch the games is at Moe's at the Ice House. Great TVs set up. And a great menu. When you go in there, they've got a, they're known for their wings. They've got some great pizzas as well. But check out some of the burgers. You'll like the New Brighton Burger. I always, when I've been there before, I like the Jim Beam Burger. Check it out. But it's a great spot to sit inside, watch the Stanley Cup playoffs. And for some of us, we're shifting over to baseball, so it's not a bad place to watch a ball game either. It's Moe's at the Ice House at Fogarty Arena. Probably an observation more so than a question. You know, we can discuss the... Uh the penalty kill, the personnel. It seems to me after Kaprizov got hurt, the team kind of panicked and went to a whole new level for their March playoff push. You know, we saw Boldy emerge. We saw Hartman. We saw an entirely different team. Any observation or thoughts of the fact that the team just peaked in March and they, and they put all their energy into overcoming the Kaprizov injury? And by the time the playoffs came back, or the playoffs came around, Kaprizov came back, that the team was emotionally and physically spent. I have a little bit of a different opinion, but I'm curious yeah, what yours I mean, is. The only thing I'll say is I do think that it, it, it's a little worrisome to me um, that Boldy disappeared. Because why, like, even, I don't know if you guys remember this, but Kaprizov came back, and analytics proved this, by the way. It's not just my eyes. Kaprizov came back that game against St. Louis, and it might have been Boldy's worst game by a mile in like three months. And then he just never caught traction again. And that's what I wonder is, what is it that caused him to step up when Kaprizov was gone, but then when he got back, he just absolutely disappeared? I don't know if it's coincidence or what, but I think it's a concern because I watch a lot of teams on TV like that one and like Colorado and like Vegas that... It's not illegal to have two great, incredible right. players on your team. And so for me, I, I always think there, there is a difference for teams that have to push to the finish and those that make their push and then take the foot off the gas. And I don't have any problem saying this because I thought it at the time. I felt Minnesota took their foot off the gas. They did. And they did it with resting guys 
they did it with it really even just saying it publicly that we don't care if we get home ice. We we had it last year. It didn't do us any good. That I think just permeated through a little bit. And like, they, like, they here, talked to about your the fact point. Just they, let me interrupt. Like the players that were in Chicago and Nashville were making fun of the fact that they were in Chicago and Nashville. They kept on calling it a preseason lineup and things like that. So right. that, to me, is another subconscious thing of what Anthony is talking about right now. Yeah, or and so, so I don't really think it's that they peaked early. I think it's that they made their push, they locked in their spot, and then they decided that it was more important to rest guys and get guys healthy and everything else. And who knows? It, it, maybe if they had kept pushing, they lose to Dallas anyway. We'll never know. But I always have concerns, and Dean talked about it, that he said, I think our game's close enough where – if we got to get it to the playoff level, as long as it doesn't dip too far, we think we can do still do that. I would always, as a coach, I want to just keep going, keep the pedal to the metal, and let's see what happens. There, there and, were other teams that rested guys down the stretch, but nobody left 10 players at home like they did when they went to Nashville. I mean, that is unheard of. And I do think it, it, it hurt them because their team... Like, you lose team, your mojo yeah, a little and, bit and, when and, you're... And what mojo did they have? Because they started taking their foot off the gas as a team starting in Vegas two and a half weeks before. And that, that to me, is my bigger concern to what he just said. Is like, it, it, it wasn't... Like, I don't agree with Dean that their game was this close that they can elevate it to here when the playoffs. Their game had fallen apart those last two and a half weeks. It was not good. Yeah, and, and, I, and, and I, 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 I just do, think it was a whether they intended it. I don't think they intended it to just be a hey, let's coast. But as soon as you start saying that, well, we're going to have Kaprizov play two games and Zuccarello is going to play two, I, I think everybody just—it's human nature to think that okay, these games they they don't matter as much as the ones we're going to play in three weeks. And I, I think it hurt them. I think it. I think the team lost their lost what they had going. And I also, again, sub- these are human beings. Like, if you were in that lineup in Nashville, what do you think that also said to you about your, your fixture inside that organization? Like, like, you know, if you're an NHL regular that had to play that game in Nashville, like, what are you thinking? Like, uh, clearly I'm not one of the most 10 important players on the team. I could get hurt tonight. Who cares? Somebody else? I mean, it's just the whole thing down the stretch just, I don't know. I, I just think they, they got what they earned. All right, I got, I got one quick one, one of the longer one. First one, what do you know about Rossi? What do you know? You keep bringing up if he gets traded this summer, and you don't usually say things well, I, like I that. Just, I, I mean, what I know is just how they talk about him behind the scenes. I don't think they genuinely believe that this is uh, a player that's going to become an Eric Snack. Like, uh, we were talking the other day. Actually, was, I was talking yesterday. or No, I, was, I just had... I had uh, got together with the other beat writers and we were talking, uh, talking about, um, um, you know, a couple of people from the organization too. And we were just ca- talking about the, to, to Anthony's point before about Eric Zanek and what he looked like f- six, seven years ago when he first got here and his incredible growth in the last like two or three years. Um, and how he's, after getting that eight year deal, has had two careers in a row and all that stuff. I just don't get the impression that they believe that he's going to eventually get to there. So I just think I really genuinely believe that if somebody came to him with a first round pick or something that they that they might internally look at it like, all right, do we start over essentially? Like, you know, if they don't think he's going to become a like, remember, they, they are looking at him right now. Like, is he a future first or second line center on this team? If they have no belief that he's going to be, they might have to. They didn't draft him to be a third or fourth line center. You know, so like if they're looking at him right now and saying, 
Like this guy is not our future number one center. And you know that deep down you got Ogren coming, and you, even though these some of these guys are wingers, but who's Zadinov and and things like that. So that's it's not that what I know. It's it, half this job always is reporter instinct. You know, listening is most important part of being a reporter. I have none of that, yeah. so I know nothing. <laughs> uh, somewhat related. Um, so we've. Obviously, seeing athletic ranks wild as the number one prospect pool, but this isn't like Bedard, uh, right. you know, the high end guys. Maybe Wall said you could call it, but yeah. they've got a, a lot of guys, maybe second tier prospects. At, at what point do you consolidate consolidate that maybe? And I don't know if that's like trade ups don't happen often. I know they looked at Ken Johnson, but I don't know. Say a guy like Mitchkov, he's Russian, he falls to seven, he's not going past Washington. Mm-hmm. But uh, if he falls to seven. Somebody asked me if he's going to get to 22 today. I'm like, uh, yeah, oh, right. Okay. Um, like, it's say Mitchkov falls to seven. He's a guy that's been talked about with Bedard. Can you trade up to get him? I think it's going to be very hard. I, like, all these teams that tanked this year didn't just do it to pray to God that on tonight they won the lottery. They did it because the top of this draft are, is superb. We almost never see, uh, like you mentioned, Kent Johnson. The Wild tried to tr- get trade up to get Anton Liddell. I mean, there, there's been tons of, it is so hard to move up uh, significantly on draft day um, in this. So I don't see where they would have the assets uh, to move up. Um, you know, H- hang on for a second. Asset of what? Asset of what? But like, what, what would it take to go from 23 to say seven? You know, I don't know. I mean, there or? are all sorts of, um, I can't remember what they offered for Kent Johnson, but it's, let's put it this way it's not two seconds, right? Um, yeah, I'm trying to remember with the Corey Perry, uh, Ryan Getzlaff. Like, they moved, uh, like, uh, Anaheim once traded a couple seconds, I think, to move back in the first round to get Perry from Dallas and things like that. I don't think that you, it would take definitely pros- like top players off your roster or a prospect or things like that. And I just don't see um, it's hard for me to envision it right now, especially with nothing in front of me to actually look at the history of that. But I, to get from where they are to get into the t- seventh, from 20-something, it, uh, it would be... It's a lot. Yeah. It, it just doesn't happen in this league. And um, But you're right. I mean, that's the type of stuff that you would love to see. Um, you know, some excitement there. A question about X injury. How, if he needed surgery on his broken fibula, was he cleared to play? I think he talked his way into it and was... I think uh, this is all speculation. A lot of times when guys have breaks like that they almost view the skate as a walking boot and that they can immobilize it enough inside the skate that i'm just guessing i didn't none of the doctors are going to tell us details on exactly what it was but i he just has such an unbelievable will work ethic and pain tolerance that i think he just convinced him look i can do all these things it doesn't hurt it doesn't hurt it doesn't hurt and the doctors obviously had to be willing to sign off that it wasn't there wasn't going to be risk of further injury. I think once he tweaked it, it was, let's just do the surgery now yeah. and get it done right. And, um, you know... Uh, I think there was the likelihood there was going to be surgery at the end of the season, no matter what. Yeah. But it's, it's, uh, somebody actually, uh, like, almost eerily brought up a week before that Anthony and I both know, I don't want to say who it was because it was just over over dinner type thing. So he goes... You know what concerns me about this is like take a hockey stick. If it's got a little splinter in it, where's it going to break right away? And it's going to be on that that thing. And if it's not fully healed, and I mean just crazily, it's exactly what happened. It's like you know he was not fully healed, and he took one push, 
And right at that point, he, he broke it again. Yeah, what's crazy is he had done all those. It's nuts. It, it was, he had skated. Yeah. He had done contact drills yeah. and, and had passed them all. It was just a, fle- a freak thing that he happened to push off and put the strain right there on the yeah. wrong spot. And Yeah, Dean, Dean chalked it up. And, you know, I, I get what he was saying, like, like the adrenaline of the game or whatever. It's just, but it is. We watched him for a week skate and do all that stuff. And this was so nothing and it just and then we watched him the day after surgery walk around as if he was perfectly healthy so it it, it, i mean the guy is a freak yeah question so uh you you mentioned how you know they um rested 10 guys for the last few few games that no one's really ever done before do you think that the erickson injury really had a part in that yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I think they were planning it anyway. Maybe not to that extent, but they were planning to give guys some nights off. Of, I'd say two, three weeks yeah. in advance of that. Once they, they knew were, they, they were, were in, they were spooked by they, that. Yeah, that but they, I just think they, I think they looked at last year and said we had home ice and lost anyway, so it doesn't matter if you have home ice. And as now. Part of what my argument was that it did matter was that I'd said you'd rather play Seattle than Colorado or Dallas. As it turns out, Seattle beat Colorado anyway. Yeah. So, And I just think, to me, this was a year where you couldn't just look at last year in a vacuum and say we had home ice and lost, therefore home ice doesn't matter. I think it would have yeah, yeah, absolutely. If anything, that was just showing another flaw in last year's team, the lack of killer instinct to to – when that series went up 2-1, the same thing happened again. It's not, you know, just because it didn't work last year because your team wasn't good enough to make it work right. does, is stupid to and, just and develop your plan the following year. The devil's advocate argument would be they lost two out of three at home this year anyway yeah. in the playoffs. Well, so. that's a problem, too, is this team stinks at home in the playoffs. It's crazy. I mean, what, 5-14 and 14 in the last? I mean, that's nuts. And um, But to Pete DeBoer's point, I don't care, you know, what yeah. home ice does. So you want game five and seven at home in the no wild, question. they get that. Um, hype man. <laughs> no, we'll just wait for you. You got to yeah. talk in the mic, though. Yeah. You know, like well, he's used to just yelling being on the jumbo yeah. I, am, I am. I am used to just yelling. Um, so this is a question. Doesn't really have to do with hockey so much, but more of the Aquarius uh, remote studio. Why is that never at Russo's house? Huh? Yeah. As huh? as Margo says, <laughs> I got to work my entire life around yeah. Anthony's golf schedule. <laughs> Well, you also do get dinner out of it. Well, because if we go there and it would, and hey, we're hungry. Well, we might have some saltine crackers and a bag of broccoli. At least this way, we get a good meal, a good bottle of wine. It it works out better for all of us. That's true. It had more to do with the dogs that Russo got to. Yeah, that's true. There's there's no dogs over there. I want Anthony to bring the dogs. Yeah, we can bring them over there. Yeah, kill your grass for a while. Any other questions uh, before we wrap up the show? Anyway, going once. It's a good show for having nothing that really happened since the last show. I know. It's pretty good. I was so spooked by the, uh, like, the uh, Connor Bedard wins Chicago that luckily you took control of the show at the very beginning. Yeah. Because I had lost uh, all focus. Right. Well, I'm very focused on my free dinner now. Yeah, that's great. Wonderful. I cannot believe that Chicago won the freaking draft lottery. It's just ridiculous. Well... It'll be nice. No better dinner than dinner on Russo. All right, last question of the show. <laughs> All right, so mine's going back to Dallas. One, I saw you don't really tweet about the Dallas series much lately. 
like in terms of what? When you're just following the games. I see Florida come up a lot, which obviously makes oh, sense. I don't know if you heard he used to cover the no, Panthers. No, I know, I know. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, uh, I've had my fill with those fans, that's for sure. One well, of the mo- most vile fan base I've ever had to deal with on, on Twitter. It's just the, the, the tweets I was getting was absolutely despicable, so I, I could uh, just adios to them. Yeah. And well, I didn't even go after them in the series. Yeah. I mean, it was, it, was, it was crazy, so. Well, and my question kind of with Dallas is watching, like, their series now going um, against Seattle is – the embellishment calls are still continuing. Yeah, because they're a bunch of divers. Which makes sense. Yeah. But my question is, at what point does the league step in? They should. Yeah. The referees should call literally nothing. Nothing. Well, they should just call embellishment. Or at least yeah. that. But, the, but the, my point is, is that like it's like the boy who cried wolves. Sorry. Like, you know, when you're make, constantly making a fool out of the refs by flopping every single right. time. You should get the benefit of the doubt zero. The the Mason Marchment dive on the Carson Soucy play. Yep, I can't remember if it was game one or two in that series. It was the most egregious. Well, actually, it wasn't any worse than Jamie Ben's dive in the against John Merrill in the Wild series. But what it's going to take is an official to have the guts to say, "I'm just calling embellishment." I'm not calling the interference and embellishment crap that they then it's you might as well keep diving because the worst case scenario is you're even. Yep. But he that was so bad that and Carson Susie doesn't know that they're calling embellishment, so of course then he overreacted and got the extra two for a rough anyway, but it it wasn't interference. It was Marchman flopping. That was all it was. So why do you always have... Sometimes it is a slash and an embellishment. I get that. But there are a lot of times where it's just embellishment <laughs> and officials yeah. just won't call it. I remember I, uh, you could go back in the Sun Sentinel. I'll, I'll never forget it. It's, uh, Greensboro Coliseum. Richard Trottier was the referee. And Dino Cicerelli got called for a penalty and the other guy dove. And I remember writing like two graphs in the Sentinel about this because I couldn't rant about it on Twitter because it didn't exist then. Um, but it is ridiculous. It's like uh, Kerry Frazier once told me, actually once, like two, three months ago, told me that when he did playoff games, a lot of times when there were crazy scrums, he would go to both benches and warn both coaches, next goal mouth scrum, I'm taking one guy. Don't know if it's your team or that team, but this is going to end now. I'm taking one guy. That's it. So you know the next goal mount scrum happens. It's not going to be a four on four, or in those days, I think coincidentals were still five on five, but it's going to be a power play for one team. And that's the same thing here. I go to Pete DeBoer before the game. I'm just telling you right now, you guys flop. I'm calling the one penalty. I don't care if he two hand chopped him on the knee, one call, and that'll end it. And because it's got to be something taught there because it's every single player. This is not just like, the, the rats of the team. This but is it, Tyler Sagan what, and Jamie Benn. Right, and what's crazy about it is that we talked about the officials having it in the back of their mind that the night before Marcus Foligno had called him out, and therefore they're looking for a call against Foligno, and, and maybe rightfully so. But you would think they would do the same in this case. When they watched Jamie Benn crumble like he had like a folding chair with no contact, you would think they'd be saying, all right, well... I'll be damned if I'm going to give that guy another call. And it doesn't seem to bother him the same way. I, I don't, I'm not quite sure why, but it's, it's a valid question. Well, that's where I'm wondering, is there a point at which the league steps in 
to go after the organization to say this looks like more of a systemic issue that we have so many players on your team because how many embellishments have been called outside of Dallas in the playoffs this year? Well, I don't Felino think any other one. teams. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which well, was, but that yeah, was yeah. right. But I, they they do get fined. Well, it's allegedly, the, you never hear. Right. Yeah, it's like you get a certain amount. There's a list of. And you don't have to necessarily get called for embellishment for the Department of Player Safety to determine it was embellishment and put you on the list. But I think but it's a third time, right, yeah, before you get it, fined, if yeah. I remember right. Yep. And you, yeah, so when you see a fine, the problem is I don't know if it happens in the playoffs because these guys don't earn salaries. So, I mean, I, I, I guess it could, but I well, don't know. Well, you still get fined for hits. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. But the embellishment one, I, I guess what I'm saying is more of the subjective one of that if in the league office they just say, yep, he sold it, and then put him on the list. I don't know if they would do that. Well, thanks, everybody, for coming on out to, uh, to Tuttle's here. Um, stay, uh, pay attention to our uh, social media. We'll probably be doing a live show next, uh, late next week, um, either here, Elsie's, or uh, Split Rock. So definitely uh, pay attention to our social media for that. Thanks for everybody coming out to Tuttle's and the Aquarius Home Services Studio. Thanks to our sponsors, Aquarius Home Services, your installers of Connecticut Water Treatment Systems, Plumbing, Heating, and Cooling, Kowalski's, Bosch Law Firm, Chris Lindell Real Estate, Royal Credit Union, and Moe's Tavern. Thanks for everybody for coming out. Thanks Thank to Brandon. Much. So much coming out, there's nothing going in. I know that you feel like you're never gonna win. Oh, but the world won't forgive a winner. Yeah, I really don't want to go to dinner with you again. How do? How come I have to pay for dinner?